0: Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here. So Lisa is in Chicago and it's summer over there at the moment. Are you experiencing the heat waves in Chicago? It
2: is. Yes, it is very hot. But you know what? I'm not complaining because I just came back from Florida where it's a real heat wave. This is kind of a faux heat wave compared to Florida.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, it's winter over here and uh we're in our winter woolies. It's been oh the wettest. God. Yeah, the wettest winter we've ever had. Yeah. Lisa is a New York Times best-selling author of the novels The Unbreakables, Fugitive Colors and her latest novel, Woman on Fire, about a young journalist embroiled in an art scandal involving a Nazi-looted masterpiece. Woman on Fire is set to be adapted into a film produced by and starring Sharon Stone. Congratulations. I know it's very exciting and
2: and she's lovely and generous. So that's been, you know, just really, um, it's been sort of an interesting journey. Absolutely. And um, thank you. I'm I'm excited. Uh, she's she's smart and she really understands the backbone of the book. So I feel very um, excited to work with her.
0: I feel, and, and you might be able to clarify this, but I feel that so many times I speak to authors and they, you know, they tell me, you know, film rights have been sold, film rights have been sold. And, you know, they never, ever eventuate into a TV series or a movie. But when it does, it must be like winning the lottery because it's quite scarce, isn't it?
2: You know, I had a situation with my first book, which was exactly that situation, Fugitive Colors. And so this one, it's feeling a little bit different. She's, you know, getting her everything together. She's producing it and, um, and very much involving and consulting me along the way. Yeah. So um, I feel really positive about it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, usually there's not a name to it because, Sharon, you know, we've already got a name to it. It's more likely going to happen, isn't it?
2: Yes, I hope so. I mean, you never know. I, uh, Hollywood is—it's you know, it, it, things can happen or things go slow, and then all of a sudden, it moves into fifth gear. But uh, yeah, it's it's moving along. So yeah. I'm 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 excited about that for sure.
0: So, Lisa, you previously worked as an editor for the Jerusalem Post and managing editor of Today's Chicago Woman, amongst other publications. So, did your career start as a journalist? Uh,
2: yes my career started as a journalist and uh, I worked in Jerusalem and I really my what I call my boot camp was Chicago journalism so I was working for an arts and entertainment public relations firm right out of college and you you might laugh at this but this is about a hundred years ago and my first client was Howard Schultz who was the CEO of Starbucks so oh, uh, I had yeah I had to quote introduce produce this new coffee experience and take him around to all the radio stations. So that was kind of my very first, my beginning. And then I went back to grad school in journalism at uh, Northwestern. And then from there, I worked in television and then was the managing editor of a woman's magazine. And then I took off for Jerusalem, where I was an editor there for about five
0: years. What were you reporting on? on in Jerusalem?
2: So I really pretty much covered everything. It was everything I always say from, you know, celebrities to terrorism. Mm-hmm. Uh so you know, I interviewed presidents and prime ministers and, you know, as well as celebrities like Madonna and um Robert De Niro and Sting and Guns and Roses when they came in. So it really was the whole range of interviews, but I would definitely say my most fascinating story there was when I covered the peace signing between uh, the late Prime Minister of Israel, Yitzhak Rabin, PLO leader Yasser Arafat and U.S. President Bill Clinton Mm -hmm. at the White House. So that was a really interesting experience. Mm -hmm. We've lost that now, haven't we, though? What a shame. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. no, we lost it, absolutely. As you know from there, the Prime Minister of Israel was assassinated. Mm. So I had interviewed um, his wife, Leah Rabin, right after the assassination, which was uh, a really, I would say, a very tough Mm. story, probably the most meaningful of my career.
0: Mm. Mm. So you grew up, did you grow up
2: in Chicago? So I grew up in Chicago, uh, sort of the suburbs of Chicago, and it's funny, you know, when you're younger, you, you always tell yourself I'll never come back here. And so I took off for Jerusalem, and I traveled the world, and of course I'm living six blocks away from where I grew up. <laughs> I, you know how it, it always it always goes full circle, and I have three uh, daughters.
0: Yeah, and Do I, you know, it's funny. Um, I was at an event with Jonathan Franzen recently. He was uh-huh. in Sydney. Yes. And um, he was talking about parents and he was talking about Americans and parents. And he was saying at the time that he grew up, you know, everybody moved away from home. So the relationship you had with your parents a, as an adult was very different to what you had because most people would only come back for Thanksgiving or for Christmas. Now, that didn't happen in Australia. We've never had that culture where you leave home. Um, most of us end up, you know, pretty much living where we were born.
2: Right, which I think is actually kind of wonderful. Do you, you think? Real, I mean, I think everyone has you know, dysfunction for sure, but at the end of the day, these are your people and yes. whether you like it or not and you know it's there is something to it i mean i i love i mean right now i'm empty nesting and i you know during covid all my girls were home and that was the best part and so when i was writing woman on fire this this last book and my protagonist is a 24 year old savvy young journalist i would look over my the top of my laptop at my then 24 year old uh you know and so who was Doing her own work across the kitchen table. And so I really kind of love that, actually. Mm, mm. Do you think your kids will stay in Chicago? I have my middle daughter, is she's an artist, and so she's at the Art Institute of Chicago. She's there. And my other two, my my youngest is traveling. Actually, she's in Thailand right now. Um but oh, my, she's near us. Yeah, she's near you. Um and yes, you might have someone knocking on your door for dinner. It's my daughter. Um, and um, my eldest is in New York. Um, she's been there since college. But I feel like I, I speak to each of my girls three times a day. We're very connected. I feel very lucky about yeah. that.
0: Yeah, yeah. And what brought you back home?
2: Uh, Well, you know, if we had an hour, but I think um, life kind of came full circle. I was, you know, as I mentioned, I was in Israel for seven years, moved to Washington, and then I got a job at the Chicago Sun-Times where I launched their first women's section, which was, you know, really interesting for me. And I ended up coming back and um, sort of ended up staying here after that. Mm.
0: Mm. I want to talk about the work that you've done and the storytelling you've done about women Um, through journalism and, of course, through your fiction. I'm not sure how familiar you are with Better Reading, but the statistics in this country are is that predominantly females are the book buyers. I don't know what the demographic is for or what the gender split, if you like, is for readers, but I definitely know that women buy the books. But Mm. we are often criticised here at Better Reading by men that we are too female-centric, right? But what I am enjoying is that in the past few years, we are seeing more and more stories about women, women historically, women presently, women who have been written out of history and have been given life through fiction,
2: Yes. Amen, sister. I agree. I I totally agree. I mean, you are saying what I'm loving, you know, just because I'm a, a suspense junkie and a historical fiction junkie is that our characters, are our assassins, our good characters, our bad characters, we've got women. And so that is exactly what I tried to do here, where it's a woman versus woman showdown. And so that was so much fun to write. So I, you have your young, you know, journalist, idealistic journalist, and you have your very unscrupulous art dealer. And they're, you know, through twists and turns, they're pitted against each other. And for me as the writer, it was so fascinating writing sort of the evil character who's a woman and the good one who's a woman, you know, side by side. And I I think it's wonderful that we're seeing, you know, a lot of, you know, women who are not just the arm piece or, you yeah. know, sort of supporting a character, but the main, the main character who is, you know, good, bad, ugly, strong, not afraid to show her vulnerabilities.
0: And, you know, I, I think it's an excellent trend that's happening. Yeah, I agree it. with you totally. And like a lot of minorities that have been written out of history, we are seeing now more and more like particularly now in this country you know you were reading you know historical uh, history books on Australia where you know First Nations people weren't even mentioned and they must have been there they just weren't written into the story and you know that's what's happened to women over the years so I'm really enjoying seeing this change that's happening now and it's good I think it's good for the country but it's 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 good for readers and good for the country is what i'd say
2: yeah no i think it's excellent and mm-hmm. and i love and i love that with women woman on fire maybe it's the suspense element maybe um you know for maybe it's this topic of stolen art, but I have a lot of male readers. So that has been really a wonderful part of this book.
0: Oh yeah. And I, and I think males should be reading all sorts of fiction, like females have been reading all sorts of fiction forever and a day, you know, fiction is fiction and the story, it's about the story. I want to talk about how you transitioned from journalism to writing long form. That kind of been easy. And was it a decisive moment? Did you kind of think, okay, I want to start writing, writing fiction? I mean, you've been writing all your career, but when did that change happen? That's a great question. So I think I I really
2: haven't stopped being a journalist. I will contribute to essays, to magazines all over, But during my days, I have been a journalist for, you know, 28 years. And so I would work on as a journalist by day and work on my fiction at night. And then I think when my books started taking off, I was able to kind of flip flop that, which has been great. Um, I think, I always say it's a blessing and a curse. So for example, my friends who my, you know, author friends who are writing historical fiction, they might have five sources and say, okay, this is fact. But for me coming from a hardcore journalist background, I will need 20 sources to say, okay, it's on repeat. This is fact. And so I really combine both actually um my journalism has made me a better writer and it, it's really helped me to do the who what where when why and how in each chapter and get out on a cliffhanger so i think my my boot camp experience as a journalist has really very much helped the pacing of my my fiction um and it's also i i know When I have the facts right, I know how to leave a sort of no stone left unturned manuscript and also to turn something in very clean having been an editor on the other side Mm. so I I think they go hand in hand the one thing that I think maybe hurts me is that I'm a slower writer than some of my other uh, author friends because I really do need to make sure I get it right
3: millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom like Evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds So
0: when was it that you decided to write fiction?
2: It was a moment there was a moment in I would say it was 1991 and I was uh, the managing editor of a woman's magazine at the time and I went to uh, an art exhibit and I was covering the story and it was called um the fate of the avant-garde uh, in Nazi Germany so I'm the daughter of a Holocaust survivor and you know I've I've grown up with the stories my whole life but when I walked into that exhibit I understood that that Hitler and his inner posse, they were artists or in the art world. And I thought to myself, my God, how is someone a murderous madman and, and an artist at the same time? And it was like this aha moment that I knew I had to deep dive into stolen art. And I knew right there, 1991, that I was going to pivot from being a journalist to to an author. And that I was, you know, with a, as a journalist, you know, you're given 15 inches, you've got to get it all in. But as an author, I knew that I could keep in all those adjectives that as a journalist, I needed to remove and that I could really go deep in a story. So
0: that was, I would say,
2: the moment. Mm, It's
0: interesting because I gather, are you still doing both? Are you still writing and being a journalist? I'm I'm writing
2: essays for various magazines. Right now I would say... I'm a journalist that complements my fiction. So mm-hmm. I've written essays on stolen art for various magazines, various essays relating even, you know, parenting or things like that, or, you know, raising daughters, you know, different types of things. I don't have the kind of time that I used to. I'm, uh, you know, very busy on, on book tour, etc. But I, you know, there's moments that I just really love writing a really strong essay. And I get that sort of journalist. High when I do. Mm. So I-
0: what I was late thinking of then is, I guess your work in journalism has given you planted the seeds, if you like, of storylines. Oh,
2: a hundred percent. Yeah. Every book that I've written has a um, a news nugget, and this one, "Woman on Fire." The, the lead character, Jules Roth, is a 24-year-old journalist. And I would say that she's the most me of any okay. character I've ever written. So I really kind of looked at it that... It was a time, you know, I wanted to create a character who was still idealistic, who still would go after the stories and not think of the consequences, who wouldn't be jaded and and, and seasoned like I am at this point. And so that was the character that I wanted to, you know, you know, bring to this story. And again, this book was inspired by a news story called the Munich Art Horde in 2013. So I um I really do kind of combine it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I love being an author more if I had to choose because I love to be able to expand on the stories, but for sure it goes hand in hand. Mm-hmm.
0: I want to just touch a little bit on on being um, at home with COVID. Did you feel? Because I spoke to many authors during that time, and some of them were just really paralysed by the situation and couldn't write at all, and others felt that nothing had changed for them because, you know, authors are solitary in nature, of course, and you're always at home writing. How was it for you? Yeah, I think I land in the others
2: category where I really was working, you know, 10 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, whipping out this manuscript. And I was, I think the fact that I was kind of stuck at home and like I said, my my kids were there, but they're older. So, you know, it was easier I really worked hard and I was very, um, you know, uh, it was positive for me in terms of my, writing because it was, there were no interruptions. It was just, you know, full on writing the story. Um, and I, and I also, I, because things were so dark at that time with COVID, I wanted to write something that had everything I loved in it. I'm like, and I said to myself, I'm going to do A book that I love. So it was art, passion, historical suspense, risky journalistic pursuits. And, you know, of course, strong, fiery women. Like it was almost like I had this whole stew of everything I loved and I put it in one book. And, and so I think I enjoyed that
0: time of writing for sure. I want to ask you a little bit about journalism and the state of journalism at the moment. I feel that the role ha- was decimated by your previous president, of which I won't mention his name. And really, I think he spent a lot of time as president devaluing uh, the profession. How do you feel about that? I mean, I, I probably am not going to hit the politics,
2: but I, as a journalist, I am mortified I, just to take it into a bigger... situation, I'm mortified that I feel like in order to get a news story, I have to listen to five different news outlets on every political spectrum in order to gain the facts on one story. And Mm. it isn't like The way I grew up where you could watch the news and you would get the news without everyone turning into uh, opinion or talking heads. And so for me as a journalist, I'm, I'm extremely disappointed. And with the state of journalism, I feel like we've lost our way in terms of reporting, in terms of just telling the news. I'm not saying I disagree with your assessment. I'm saying journalism, the profession, has lost its way in terms of straight on reporting or just getting the facts. And as you say, I'm very upset, especially in the States, with how divided we are. Mm -hmm. You know, you come to my... Holiday table, and you'll have a family that's completely divided, shouting at each other mm-hmm. from both mm-hmm. sides, mm-hmm. and it is—it's it, hard, and no one's listening. And you know, for me, that's the part—that's the piece. You know, we're broken, and I wish that we could listen to each other and I wish we could find some way to come together in the old days, um, whether you were Republican or Democrat in the States, you could cross the aisle, you could make deals, you could talk to each other, you could leave the Congress, and go have a drink with, or, or, you know, or coffee with someone who was not in your political party. And that is all gone. And to me, that's the saddest piece of all. Mm.
0: I think journalism too, if you go back and even pre um, pre that precedent, yeah. uh, social media was having an impact in a huge Absolutely. way. And Absolutely. so- I think what happened is that the industry was in flux anyway and trying to find its feet in a digital age and then you had that. Then you had somebody come in over that and devalue the profession and, you know, that's been a huge setback. It happened in books, as you'll remember, you know. I mean, the threats that we had were e-books and audiobooks, and people kept saying, you know, the print book wouldn't survive. Well, it did. All formats survived because it's the power of story and hopefully that will happen in journalism.
2: Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with mm. you. I mean. Power of story, but it was. I mean, you, you know, you see so many newspapers and magazines, those that you could actually put in your hands have, you know, gone belly up Mm -hmm. and, and Mm -hmm. it's sad. And many bookstores, you know, first it was Borders and Barnes and Noble. Those are our big bookstores, sort of the conglomerate ones. You know, they were all going down, uh, or then it was the mom and pop bookstores, the indies going down. Then during COVID, you know, Everybody reached out to prop and support the indie bookstores to help them through, which I thought was beautiful. I mean, mm-hmm. that was the one thing in the. I, I I know I'm probably going off on a tangent, but in the author community, imagine if you were an author and your book came out during COVID. It was it was so upsetting, and so many authors rose and, and lifted other authors during those moments. And I was so proud of my community of authors, what we were able to accomplish for each other. But yes, the, the ebooks, the, you know, uh, the, you know, the big e, Purchasing sites, no names mentioned. It has done a lot of damage to the, you know, various stores. But we're seeing a comeback. We're seeing things turn around. We're seeing just a lot of having three daughters. Social media was a huge part of our lives and not in a good way. And so, um, you know, it's been
0: really trying to find a happy medium, I think. Mm. No, I agree with you. And I think um, for us, um, you know, I remember early on in the March of COVID, that was March 2020, I think, you know, people were saying to us, you know, all this business is, is the conversation with authors and connecting writers with an audience, connecting writers with readers. And people are like saying to me, what are you going to do? You're going to, you know, you're going to have to pivot. What are you going to do? And you know what I did? I just gave my platform to write it. So anybody that was launching a book in March, April, May, June of that year, they got half an hour of my platform. And I mean, that's, that's, that's
2: amazing. And and kudos to you for doing that, you know? And, you know, and then on the flip side, we as, you know, an author community, because there was such a rise of Zoom and we were mm-hmm. able to, just as we're doing now, mm-hmm. that we're able to connect uh, with Authors and publications and media and, and readers that we never were able to do before in this type of way. This has been very normalized. The, the rise of podcasts and, you know, various sites, um, for Zoom and, and on Facebook and Instagram and, you know, all those types of things, which have been really positive. Um, so with everything, as I always say, there's always a silver lining yeah. and, And I think, you know, you having done that uh, is is an amazing thing. And, And I think there were others who followed that exact example, which was just wonderful for the book community.
0: Mm -hmm. it is and I think too a lot of people and this would have happened in the US as well but a lot of people in Australia for sure rediscovered reading all of a sudden I was getting texts from friends you know what should I read next and people that hadn't reached out to me in the past so there has been some good that's come out of this terrible terrible situation is not it been awful? But anyway, it's, I'm, I'm so pleased that writers continue to write and Lisa Barr, thank you so much for your time today.
2: Oh, thank you for having me. This has really been a pleasure. Um, and I really appreciate all that you do for
0: authors. Thank you. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit
1: betterreading.com.au.
3: Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.